I think the bigger belief system that Tara's talking about here, the one she found, is education, because it is a it is a system with so many different voices in it. You know, I, th I think that's what she's moving away from. She's moving away from these very oppressive systems that have one voice of of authority, right? This is the way we do things. This is good. This is bad. To a bigger system, education. Welcome to the new season of our Tell Me What You're Reading podcast. The season that we just finished, season one, included 10 episodes, which are described on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, and which can also be heard on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and a number of other platforms. Our first guest for season two was introduced to me by my son Ben and his wife Eden, when they were planning their wedding and wanted me and Carol to meet their friend, Dylan Marin, who would be officiating. Dylan did a great job officiating and was also a pleasure to talk with on the pod. Let's get going with season two. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescue, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. Before we get to today's discussion, let me answer the question that I ask all of my guests. What am I reading? The answer is quite a bit in the last several months. Alice and Frida Forever is the true tale researched and beautifully written by Alexis Coe of same-sex love and a murder in Memphis, Tennessee in 1892. Alexis will be on the podcast soon. Bad Blood recommended by Melanie, is the telling of the Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes fraud. And American Kingpin, recommended by Keith Grossman of Bloomberg Media, is the story of the sale of illegal drugs, guns, and body parts on the Silk Road. Dave recently finished this one as well. Both are great. Keith will also be a guest in the near future. I read and enjoyed Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Strout which was discussed in my recent podcast with Joe Palazzato. My friend Susie Stillman and I recently agreed that it's great to read a good work of fiction, but it steals time from great works of nonfiction. One such great one is The World As It Is by Ben Rhodes, President Obama's foreign policy advisor and speechwriter, a gift to me by my book dealer and friend Marlene Lippman. A truly epic novel and a gift from Ben that recently interrupted my thirst for nonfiction is The Luminaries by Man Booker Prize winner Eleanor Caton, which takes place in Gold Rush, New Zealand during the 1860s. Ben and I read this one together in New Zealand, an 800-plus page commitment. It was a unique opportunity to read The Luminaries while in New Zealand over the holidays. We all loved the country and the fabulous people we met there. I also loved the book. Finally, at Carol's suggestion, I read Educated, a momentous memoir by Tara Westover that I'll be discussing in a moment. Now for today's guest. I'm excited to have my friend Dylan Marin with us. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you for having me. Well, you're welcome. Dylan is a writer and video maker who focuses on social justice issues. Dylan receives lots of negative messages on the internet and hosts an award-winning podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, 
where Dylan calls up people who have said negative things online. Dylan has recently been on a college speaking tour throughout the country and is now writing a book about having difficult conversations, empathy on the internet, and wielding softness as strength. It's called Snowflake and will be published by Atria, a division of Simon & Schuster. I'm glad to say, and it's already clear, that we have another very interesting guest with us today. When we spoke ahead of this discussion, I asked Dylan what he was reading and would like to discuss. He mentioned several books. George Orwell's 1984, but this was too obvious and neither one of us wanted to talk about 1984. <laughs> no. <laughs> Priest Daddy, a memoir by poet Patricia Lockwood about a deeply odd religious upbringing. The book and the author both sound fascinating. The Good Neighbor, which is the Maxwell King biography of the wonderful Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Celeste Eng's second novel, Little Fires Everywhere, a story of racial tensions and incendiary family dynamics. The Stranger in the Woods, an extraordinary story of a hermit living in the Maine woods, I think it was for 27 years. Yeah. The aforementioned American Kingpin by Nick Bol uh, Bilton, and the book we're going to discuss, a New York Times bestseller and a first book for the author, Educated, by Tara Westover. Dylan, you've read both fiction and nonfiction, but you told me that you've gravitated towards nonfiction as you feel perhaps a psychological pull mm -hmm. to understand people and the way their minds operate. There are lots of interesting people in this book and lots to try to understand. Yeah. I, 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 I just finished reading it, and I'm, I'm sure I don't understand a lot of what, what they were What did he think? I thought it was a terrific story. I thought it was, it was very well written. Yeah. I, I, uh, I questioned the, just for a moment, the credibility of the story because it's so oh. fantastic. Really? The fact that someone, I'm going to ask you to talk, to, to give us the, the synopsis perhaps, but the fact that someone can grow up in the circumstances in which she grew up uh, in a uh, deeply religious uh, Mormon family, fundamental uh, fundamentalists, uh, with no formal schooling at all, no formal homeschooling of, of really of any kind, no medical attention ever uh, as she was growing up, and to get to the end of the story to end up with a PhD from Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Quite extraordinary. Yeah. So how did that happen? And what captivated you? Well, I think, I mean, honestly, the honest answer is that I read it just because it was the book that everyone was talking about. And I was like, I want to read this book. I want to see what everyone's talking about. I read it, and by read it, which we can get into here, but I listen to books on Audible. Do you count that as reading? I, I do. I okay, good. I, I do too. Um, some people don't. Uh, to them, I say... I'm glad that you can read books the normal way. I really prefer listening to them. I'd we, say the conventional way as opposed to the normal The conventional way. way, you're right. I think, but I also think audio reading requires the same focus, the same listening. You're still listening for themes. You're still listening for through line. It's, it's, anyway, we can get into that later. So what drew me to Educated was, one, I mean, just the opening chapter was so well written, and then you just continue and continue. I mean, this story is so, so different from anything I know. 
That, that's one of the things that made it great. Yeah. We, we were learning the entire time. Completely. It's funny that you bring up the credibility. I never doubted the credibility of the story for a moment because it just, it, it would make, I don't, do you, do you still doubt it? No, I, I do not doubt it. And it probably, that doubt probably comes from having just read uh, the uh, Bad Blood mm -hmm. about this massive fraud. Mm. And, uh, and so that book lingered into this it, next it one. Did. I'm sure that's what it was. But but it is such a, uh, a great leap from mm -hmm. where she came from mm -hmm. and where she is now. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't say ended up because you never do know. Yeah. Well, ended up at the end of the book. At the end of the book, yeah. Not in her life. Um, I actually, I was at a conference with her a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, wow, time. Yeah, I was at a conference with her two weeks ago, and she was amazing. I didn't get to meet her, but but she was there. And it's, um, I mean, it's it's just kind of incredible what she went through and the ability, I think what I was most fascinated by was her ability to have such introspection on her story. You know, like it, it seems like this was someone, she referenced journals that she kept throughout all of her life. And it seems like this is an incredibly introspective person who always documented what was happening. And are we allowed to talk about stuff that happens later in the book? Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? But Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. But that moment after a particularly abusive episode from her brother. Sean. Sean, uh, a pseudonym. Um she is in the mirror and she's she right. is seeing herself and well it, it's it's that she is herself and she's seeing the person through the mirror and, and i think that's like this big moment of split for her right um it's it kind of is when she decided i don't know i, I would when she say decided to leave yeah, yeah exactly that, that, that decided to officially time, leave yeah um and oh God, I, I'm forgetting the line, but she wanted to like reach through and pull that woman yeah. out with her. Um, and, and, and the importance of her journals, if I remember correctly, they were in a box under her bed at her family home, mm -hmm. despite the fact she had been to Cambridge for years and at Harvard mm -hmm. on a fellowship, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But she and she kept every time she came home to Idaho, mm -hmm. I cringed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I, towards the end of the book, I started doing that. I'm just like, why go back? Why go back? Babe, you got to... Yeah, why go back? Now, Now I kept thinking, this is her family. She's mm -hmm. trying. She wants to be part of the family, but it scared the heck out of me, especially because of the abuse by Sean, but also, I'll call it the psychological abuse by her father and her mother, mm -hmm. who was complicit. But she, she uh, had these journals under her bed, and she took them. Mm -hmm. put them in a car and drove away. Yeah. They were very important to her. Yeah. I mean, it's also like this very classic hero journey, right? That's, I mean, even memoirs follow the traditional story structures that we're used to with novels, and it's a hero's journey. It's, it's um, you're, you're, you start from a point, you end up at a different point, and there's a journey from one to the other. And... You're rooting for her. I think the the funny thing is she is so clear about it when she narrates it retrospectively. And so you just want to be like, I mean, there's an opportunity early on where she could go live with her grandmother, right? Right. The um, 
grandmother grandma down the hill down the hill yeah. as opposed to grandma out of town <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so or or is it the other way i think it's the other way yeah. grandma in town or someone uh, one of the grandparents who's going to arizona who's like right, right you can i'm not making this up right it's right, like no, you can no. live with me and then go to school yes and you just oh, want, and she and I feel as if she's going to do that. Yes. So the grandma's leaving at six in the morning. Yes, and I be, thought that's I thought what's going to happen. Yeah. From from the title, I was like, okay, and this happens, and then she goes and lives her best life. Right. And but so, so the grandma who and grandpa were going to Arizona. We're going to drive by the house at six in the morning so nobody would see her leave. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we thought. Oh, I and thought the car stayed there for a moment. Yeah. Right. So it must have been grandma down the hill. Yeah, because yeah. then she, because she was seeing this from her bedroom. Right. Yeah. Oh my yes, God. I exactly was like, right. girl, you got to go. Yeah. Hun, you got to get down there. So a sign of how great it was written is I, I, I we, we thought that we were anxious that she should yeah. go and we were anxious every time she came. Yeah. Home. And it was hard. It was really hard to read there. There is for people who are listening to this, who still want to read the book. I absolutely think you should. There's a very, very, very abusive brother. Um, very abusive brother. So seven siblings. Seven siblings. Uh, four of them didn't finish high school, and mm -hmm. three of them got PhDs. Yeah, right. PhDs for three of them. Yeah. None of them had, well, most of them had no formal schooling. Mm -hmm. That too is amazing. And so, and if you think about the parents, so where do we get her intelligence to the extent we have intelligence from? Is it from our parents? Well, Interestingly, the father was, it appears, learned in mm -hmm. the Bible, mm -hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, the Book of Mormon. Uh, the mother didn't appear to have, I'll say, anything going for her until. And then she starts this huge business. She starts this uh, business of healing and using mm -hmm. herbs and the like, and it becomes massive. And so there, there was there was quite a bit of substance in her parents, mm -hmm. which somehow translated, or provided the genes perhaps for these three who got PhDs. Well, I don't think there's any. I don't think for. You know, I I think probably both parents are smart. It's just a matter of. Kind of what they've been encouraged to and more specifically prohibited from doing. Yes. Right. And it sounds like this was all at the request of the father who like really had these strong, strong, strong kind of, I would say deeply radical beliefs yeah, on education. Yeah. yeah. On education. Well, anything to do with the government, anything to do with the government and education. Mm -hmm. And what I do appreciate is that she does make, you know, in her opening statement, she's kind of like, this is not a read of the Mormon church. Right. Because I think we also have to acknowledge, well, I mean, I think this is true for all religion. I think all religion can be used as like a means to love people. And then some religion can be used as a means to excommunicate oneself and to identify, um, identify people, the, the, the bad people and, uh, encourage its acolytes to fear those people. And I think, I, I'm sure every religion, or um, I don't know all the religions, I think there are hundreds of religions. <laughs> I think many, most religions, I would say, have a strong contingent of people who are there for 
for love, right? Who are there for all the right reasons. So I don't think we can pin this to any one denomination per se. Do you know what I mean? I think this yeah. was like truly mm -hmm. radical, radical views from this woman's father. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think what you've said about not pinning this to Mormonism is, mm -hmm. is, is a good point. Yeah. Pinning it on religious fervor. Yes. Which religious fervor, which is which transcends, yeah, transcends many different religions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um so the, it, this started with her father, mm -hmm. but her mother really was complicit. Not, not it, it, there was no indication that the mother had religious fervor. Mm -hmm. She was, except to the extent that she was so, uh, uh, she followed her husband and whatever her husband wanted to do, mm -hmm. to the extent that she lied to and hurt her children. Mm -hmm. uh, she favored her husband over her children, certainly. So funny. I feel weirdly defensive of the mom. Well, I don't know. The mom was complicit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think this just feels so weird because this is a real family, you know? Yes. I was watching an interview with Tara on CBS, C the CBS morning show, and they read a statement released from her parents. Oh, really? And I was like, whoa. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So it's weird to cast judgments on... Yeah, I, yes these people who were written about. And to be clear, I think Tara Westover has like full authority to write about her growing up. I don't think, I, I don't think there is an ethical violation here, but like, I don't know this, this human being exists. Yes, you know yes, what I mean? Yeah, Sean I exists. Sean exists. And it's interesting as well, as you said, Sean is a pseudonym and there are a number of other pseudonyms, but they can't be terribly well hidden. I mean, that that no. is her last name. That is her last and name. We know where she grew up in Idaho. I mean, we could go there. <laughs> I think I'll pass. Okay. I love Idaho, but yeah. uh, I think I'll pass. And so she grew up really on a, in, a, in a junkyard. I mean, Idaho, it should also be said, is like... I'm not even talking red state, blue state. Idaho is like... I remember being, and I'll speak only from personal experience rather than make these sweeping gestures... I was the only brown person that I saw for a long time, <laughs> let's say. And I, it also like, you know, I'm gay and I was there with my husband and, you know, you felt it. Like, <laughs> not that we were even doing anything. It's just like, you know, I'm like a brown queer guy who's walking down the street wearing pearl earrings and like <laughs> it's uh you know you're, you don't you, blend you were self-conscious at the very least yes <laughs> yeah. yeah and there are places i mean just to be clear like there are many places outside of new york where you just feel like you're just going about existing and it's this lovely non-issue right yeah and then there are places where you're like you have been identified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know Idaho well except for that experience, but I I I think Idaho's, you know, beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Stunning. We we've camped in Idaho and yes. hiked and fished. Love. So more more in the book. <laughs> uh so a couple of themes. Um uh feminism, uh women's rights, mm -hmm. uh, women. So as I said, the mo the mother was uh, not only complicit, but she was quiet. She 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 was in the background to a large extent, 
Until, but always making her tinctures. Right, but uh, always making her tinctures. Well, there was something she did before that. What was she doing? I don't oh, know. she was like doing some nursing thing. Um, Dylan and I were trying to remember that before her healing initiative, Tara's mom acted as a midwife despite no formal training. A frightening prospect, but just one of many in the perilous existence Tara describes. Maybe, but she was making her tinctures. Yeah. And everybody... Which, just to be clear for everyone listening, she really just believed in like, um, salves, right? Yeah. Like uh, mixing herbs, mixing herbs and to, to cure to everything, cure everything. To cure cancer. Yes, yeah. To cure the common cold and to cure cancer and everything yeah. in between. Yeah. And then it became a big business, and all of a sudden she asserted herself to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was interesting. Uh, Tara herself, as a little sister, aside from the physical abuse, uh, getting her arms pulled and yeah. really getting the hell beat out of her by her brother. Um, the way she rose up as a woman, and she discussed this a little bit in the book, how she felt as a woman, and perhaps because of the Mormon faith, uh, women were serving their husbands. And she, um, in addition to overcoming everything else, she overcame that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the abuse we mentioned by her brother, Sean, and... Uh, physical abuse, uh, but uh, the psychological, deep psychological abuse. Uh, Just that's the thing. I just felt terrified for her every single time. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. Perhaps even more so than the physical. Yeah. Uh, But, but both Uh, the bullying, which, which uh, dad, her dad and her brother as well. Um, The empowerment I just mentioned uh, when the mom started making money and Tara, when she became educated, Mm -hmm. um, really became empowered and I'm sure for her and for us, for everyone, education is an Mm -hmm. ongoing process. I fear, I'm glad you saw her at a conference. I continue to fear about her going back home. Uh, I don't know if that I didn't get to talk to her really. So I don't, I don't know. Um, But I, yeah, I mean, I think empowerment is a fear. Empowerment, like self-empowerment, you know, Um, which is not to turn this conversation away from talking about feminism. I mean, I fully think we should talk about it. I just think, I don't know, I don't know if she would claim that. You know, like this was a very, it, 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 the interesting thing about this book is it, while it definitely fits into the broader conversation about all these themes, it was such a personal story. And there was, it seems, a very conscious decision and an interesting decision, I say this without judgment, a conscious decision to not root it in bigger movements. Do you know what I yes. mean? Yeah, and I think, when, so when I say feminism, uh, yeah. the, 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 uh, the, the equality of the sexes, but I agree, there was no attempt to make this red-blue mm-hmm. or, or feminist mm-hmm. or any other bigger movement. This was a mm-hmm. memoir telling yeah. the story. I, I agree. Yeah, and... Very personal. Very personal. Yeah, I would say another theme was, um, I mean, this is in the same thing, but like self-actualization, right? Um, seeing yourself, uh, 
even the mother self-actualized with yes. her business, you know? Yeah, very interesting. And I would argue even the father self-actualized <laughs> with the fact that he like, you know, found a way to completely lead his own belief system for yeah. himself. Well, yes, that's, that's true. But it's also about belief systems, right? And like, I think the bigger belief system that uh, Tara's talking about here, the one she found is education because it is a, it is a system with so many different voices in it. You know, I, th I think that's what she's moving away from. She's moving away from these very oppressive systems that have one voice of, of authority, right? This is the way we do things. This is good. This is bad. To a bigger system, education, that is like literally an, uh, just this huge amorphous idea of constantly infusing new ideas in, in with the old ideas and the evolution of all of those and how those ideas always act in concert with each other and then being part of that, right? Moving away from this like um, kind of oppressive idea that there is one right way. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Early in the book, <clears throat> and this is a plug for reading, uh, two, I've got two plugs for reading here. One, she talks about the power of reading mm -hmm. uh, in the book, and she says, the skill I was learning when she was learning to read and, and, and becoming educated, the skill I was learning was a crucial one, the patience to read things I could not yet understand. Mm. And it's the things we don't know, is, which is what we should be reading about. Mm -hmm. and, and she realized that. And when that clicked in, she, she was willing to explore. Mm -hmm. And that you know, self-actualization, that, that was an extraordinary thing that happened to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the other plug for reading comes from you. Mm -hmm. uh, you said when we, uh, after our first preliminary conversation, uh, you said that um, you, 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 you started reading again. Mm -hmm. That uh, the, f the fact that I introduced the idea of tell me what you're reading mm -hmm. uh, kick-started you to start reading again, which yeah. is wonderful. Well, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I mean, I was always reading, but I feel like, well, this is something I'm happy to share. I, I'm always, except for this lovely new chapter that you've helped kickstart. Um, and to also be fair, I think was kickstarted because when you're writing a book proposal, you just want to be like yeah. flooded with other people's words, you know? So you're like, I need to exist in context here. Um, but I was, I've always been self-conscious of, of like, of not reading because I never was this bookworm, you know? And I think that was like largely before I found, um, audiobooks, right? Yeah. Like I, I was such a slow reader. I didn't understand how it took so long. I mean, of course, when I found a book that I loved, no matter how complicated or dense, I could totally tear through it. But I wanted to be doing that with books that I didn't necessarily find to be the most compelling. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, you know, I think especially at a time when what was the research I saw recently? Our eyes are seeing more words a day than ever before, yeah. but it doesn't mean we're reading more, you or know, or comprehending. You are comprehending, and and I just think, I mean, listen, as I'm embarking on this journey of writing my own book, it's um, 
it's big. You're you're putting something on paper that then someone can you're you're giving someone a key to the maze to navigate your own ideas and and I think a better written book gives a it gives a guide to the maze so that you can navigate it yourself. So um I've taken many different tangents in this in me <laughs> well, talking it, it, right that's now. That's right. And and your book uh sounds like very it's very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're opening up your soul to the world and forever. And, but and that's forever. All. But yeah, that's exactly. all. No worries. I mean, I, it's personal, but it's all, it's using the personal as a means to talk about, it's using the micro as a means to talk about the macro. Like, you know, a lot of it is going to be drawing from my podcast where I not only call people who have said negative things about me online, but I also moderate conversations between strangers and through this project, I've been afforded this like really front row seat to an interesting, just like really fascinating um, discoveries about how we talk to each other and how we talk, uh, our, how our online selves are different from our online selves. And I just want to be clear, I don't refer to the internet and real life because I think both are real life. It has, the internet certainly has become real life. It's real life for sure. Yeah. Um, so you're distinguishing between online and offline. Online and offline, the way we talk to each other, yeah. um, the way we speak about ourselves even. Um, there. So that's what I'm exploring. I'm exploring uh, yeah, kind of what I've seen through making this podcast. Yeah. So. And, and um, the, the book itself, uh, difficult conversations, empathy on the internet, and wielding softness as strength. And you know, I tied that back to the book. And Tara, she, her confrontations with her family were out of love, were with love. She didn't wield a hammer except for moving to London, which mm-hmm. was uh, a big gap. But um, but the wielding s- softness as a strength it reminded me of her. Mm. Uh, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, because it, it it again what she did when she spoke to her father and her she said to her father, her father said to her, "I love you." Mm. And uh, well, when her father sh- said that, uh, she said uh, it was never about that. I never doubted that. Mm. She was. Um, she was tough. She was very tough. Mm. But she didn't uh, wield a hammer, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, you think there are a bunch of us who are better served not wielding a hammer. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I, I was the kid who was always bullied in school, and I was encouraged to fight back. That's how I was told I would show my strength. But I don't think that's how, that's the only way to show strength. Oh, I agree. Right. I, agree. I, I just think um, that is one way, right? Yeah. But I'm just not, it's not only that I'm not well suited to that, that's just not in my DNA. It's not in, I, I couldn't do that. I'm, I, I had this like weird fascination that has now grown into the ethos of my podcast, which is like, I really just wanted to know who my bullies were, you know? 
I wanted, well, and also to be fair, I wanted them to like me. I mean, there's also, I don't want to pretend I just had this like virtuous desire to like interrogate their soul. Like, no, I was just like, please like me so that you don't hurt me anymore. (laughs) Well, that's an important thing. But you, um, your strength is in your uh, passion and in your intellect and uh, not everybody has that strength. Mm-hmm. There are other people who have brute strength and the inclination to use brute strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a greater strength, in, in my view, is uh, in your passion, in, in your intellect, and in your inclination to find a peaceful solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do that individually, and so you do that individually, and then as you do it in the podcast and as you'll do it in the book, others will be influenced. I hope. I hope so, too. Look at us. Any la- look at us. Any last words about the book? I really hope people read it. Yeah. It's a really, really, it's so well written. It's, it's so written. well written. It's, all, it's also about like, it's, a, it's about someone, you know, pulling themselves out of their current circumstances. And something that should be said here um, is that there are, I'm sure there are a lot of people in this world who are as smart as Tara, who are in similar circumstances, who aren't given those opportunities to bust out of there. Do you know what I mean? I, I think even Tara would say like, there was a series of, Tara herself is very, clearly very motivated, right? And clearly very like able to self-actualize, but I think to, to praise self-actualization without the acknowledgement that there are people who help us along the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was her, her older brother. Her brother, Tyler. Her, her brother, Tyler, who like really helped her uh, with the ACT, right? Yeah. Um, and then there were the professors who helped along the way and, and that um, got the minister who helped her get funding, right? right. Yeah. But it, but it was Tyler in the first instance. Totally. Who saw his sister struggling and saw something in her. Yeah. And, and more importantly, probably saw that there might be a way out. Yeah. And he helped her. Yeah. And that's what broke her out. Mm-hmm. She went to BYU and then she was discovered. Yeah. yeah. And and people invested in her and took risks with her. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It worked out. Look All at right. us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dylan. This, this was, was a great. pleasure. Thank you very much. Finally, for purposes of fairness and completeness, I should note that the website that reports on Tara Westover's appearance on CBS Morning News includes a statement from a lawyer for Tara's parents in which the lawyer said, quote, Tara was a loved daughter who was educated by her parents such that at age 16, she received a scholarship from BYU a school that is not easy to get into. Like her two brothers that got PhDs, homeschooling was a sufficient foundation for their education, close quote. I must say that this book, which I think is a really great read and in fact inspirational, gave me a very different impression about the value and even the existence of any meaningful homeschooling provided to Tara and her siblings. Read the book and decide for yourself. 
More information about our guest today can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse, as well as my affiliate manager. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments, either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.